the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Church of the Redeemer in Gatorsburg, Maryland. Welcome to Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. We pray that through this message, you will learn how to apply God's Word and truth to your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us. We're talking about the opposite side of wisdom. We're talking about foolishness. How do you and I foolproof our lives? Because all of us have to contend with a bit of foolishness inside of us. How do we actually get rid of it and become the wiser person that God wants us to be? And there are four things I'd like to share with you today that will help you to foolproof your life. Number one, you and I need to realize that there is a difference between sinfulness and foolishness. I want to take just a moment and talk about those two words just briefly, sinfulness and foolishness. We need to understand what it means to sin and what it means to be foolish. To sin is any time you and I disobey God's word or disobey God's will. That God has said something clearly in his word or by implication of his will to us and we disobey that. When you disobey God, it is a sin. A sin is a very serious thing. A sin is an affront to God. It is a rebellion against God. The best definition I've ever heard of sin is found in its spelling, S-I-N. So right in the center of sin is I. When I'm living for I instead of God, then I'm living in sin. I'm disobeying God, doing my will instead of His, following my word instead of His word, the word of the world around me instead of His word. Foolishness is simply a lack of judgment. Some things are sinful and some things are foolish. By the way, all sin is foolish, but there's a distinction between sinfulness and foolishness. The reason we need to know the distinction is that so often we treat sin seriously. We don't treat foolishness so seriously, but we need to combine them together and realize that both of them are bad for us. And that leads to the second point I'd like to share with you today, and that's foolishness like sin always has potential negative consequences. That when you and I engage not only in sin, but engage in foolish behavior, activities in life that are opposite of what is wise and prudent, whether it be foolish decisions that we make, or foolish habits we have, or foolish words we speak, or foolish friendships that we develop, or foolish actions that we take, or foolish patterns of life that we develop, anytime we do that, we're setting ourselves up for some negative consequences. Proverbs 19 verse 3 says it this way. People ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then are angry at the Lord. Does that sound like some folks you know? They ruin their own lives by the choices they make, and then they want to blame God. God, why did you get me into this mess? And God did not have anything to do with it. It was their own choices that got them into trouble, but they ruin their lives by their own foolishness, and then they get angry with God about life. And so the Bible warns us of the consequences of foolishness, not just the consequences of sin, but also the consequences of foolishness. I want to take you to some stories and scriptures that, scripture that will illustrate this this consequence of foolishness. I'm going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 25 in the Old Testament. You'll need to turn there. You can write the reference down. I'm going to tell you the story. 
It's a very amazing, interesting story. There are three characters in the story. David, whom you will know eventually to become King David of Israel, a man by the name of Nabal, and his wife, Abigail. So would you say those three with me? David, David, and Abigail, three main characters. During this particular time in history, David was not king yet. He was not yet king of Israel. He was fleeing from King Saul who wanted to kill him. And so David was running around in the wilderness with 600 men that he had with him trying to hide from Saul who wanted to take his life. Nabal was a man who was a very wealthy landowner and livestock owner. And Abigail was his wife. In this particular time in 1 Samuel chapter 25, David had been in the wilderness around the area where Nabal had his livestock and shepherds. And so oftentimes Nabal would send out his shepherds during the day to go to various places in the wilderness to find pasture land for the livestock. And during that time, David and his 600 men would guard the shepherds of of Nabal to make sure that nothing happened. And so they treated them very kindly and served them greatly. And so they were taking care of Nabal's men. And when it came time for David to move on, David sent a delegation to Nabal and said, you know what, we need some supplies. We realize that you have a lot of resources. We're just simply asking that you would give us some food for our journey. We've taken good care of your men while we've been around them. We've tried to be kind to them. We're asking for a favor. Would you just help us out with a little bit of supplies for my men so that they can eat? And Nabal resisted. Nabal said, no, not giving you anything. Had a lot of harsh things to say about David. He rejected David's appeal. By the way, the name Nabal in Hebrew means the fool. What happened during this time was Abigail, his wife, learned about what was going on and realized that David now was about to come down upon Nabal and actually attack him and get the food necessary because Nabal would not, would not give it to him. And so Abigail gets a little delegation of her own unbeknownst to her husband and goes out and finds David and presents food to him and settles the situation, diffuses everything so that her husband is not attacked and killed there in that moment because of David's anger. The Bible says that 10 days later, Nabal died. He lost his life. David didn't take his life. He just died. He died. And not long after that, Abigail became David's wife. Here's what I want you to see. Foolishness will kill you. It's not the same as sin, but it can still kill you. And wisdom, because Abigail demonstrated wisdom, wisdom will put you in the royal palace, okay? Listen to what he said in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. The words of Jesus, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man. Notice this, he's talking about wisdom, who, who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Notice again, there's strength to a life of wisdom. Notice verse 26, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man. So you see the opposite of the wise man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Do you see that there are consequences to the way you live your life? Again, Matthew 25, Jesus makes the distinction. He says, at that time, the kingdom of heaven, speaking of the last days, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish. Five were 
wise. You got 10 ladies, five of them are foolish, five of them are wise. What's this foolishness and wisdom look like? The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones, notice this, said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. How many notice that, that fools are always wanting to take stuff from wise people, right? Okay. When they live a foolish life and they get into trouble, who are they looking for? They're looking for the people who've lived with wisdom, right? To bail them out. And so, no, they replied, there may not be enough. The wise one responded back, there may not be enough for both of us. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Speaking of the day or the hour that Jesus will come. And so it pays to live a life of wisdom as opposed to a life of foolishness. There are consequences of foolishness. Foolish living is dangerous. Number three, the third thing, that God helps the foolish and God helps the sinful. All of us are sinners and all of us are foolish. Now, it's extremely important that we understand how God treats sinful, foolish people because that's who we are, amen? By nature, we do dumb things. By nature, we do foolish things. By nature, we do sinful things. So you and I need to understand how God treats people like us, because if we don't understand how God treats us and responds to us, we're going to be in trouble when we try to go to Him. So let's take a look at how God treats sinful, foolish people. Number one, God loves and cares about fools and sinners. Is that on your notes? That's not on your notes. Then don't read it, okay? I'll read it. God loves and cares about foolish folks. Aren't you glad that God loves and cares for people like you and me? Amen? He loves you. Even though you're sinful and even though you're foolish, God still loves you. Romans 5 verse 8 says, But God demonstrates His own love for us in this, While we were still sinners. While we were still foolish, Christ died for us. And so I want you to know today, if you're sitting there and thinking, you know what? I'm, I'm a sinful person. I've made some foolish mistakes. I do some foolish things at times. You need to remember that God still loves you. Number two, God forgives and saves and redeems fools and sinners that God reaches down to people like you and me, and he forgives us. He saves us and he redeems us. He gets us back on track with him. There's a story in Acts chapter 9. Let me tell you the story, a little bit of the the context of the story, then I'll read you some verses here in just a moment. It's a story of a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus. And Saul of Tarsus was a very religious, smart, intellectual man, but he hated Christians. This is the early church right after Jesus has been crucified and risen from the grave and ascended back to the Father and the church has just started. And Saul was this religious guy that hated Christians. He wanted to kill Christians, get them out of the way. He had this murderous spirit about him toward those who followed Jesus. And so while he was, had a lot of intellectual ability, he was smart, he was not very wise because he was actually fighting against the very thing that God was doing through salvation in Jesus Christ. Let's pick up the story in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse number 6. 
Verse number one, down through verse six. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way that's following Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Let's stop there for a moment. So here is Paul. He's getting all the information he can to go to Damascus to find out anyone that's in Damascus, Syria, that is a follower of Jesus and his intention is to not only arrest them, but bring them back to Jerusalem, where most likely they will be put on trial and martyred for their faith. This is a guy who is trying to destroy the work of Jesus Christ in the world. Now, if you were God, how would you treat Saul of Tarsus? Let's just get this guy out of the way, okay? Let's get rid of him. Let's knock him out. Let's get him out of the way. That would be the way that you and I would think in human wisdom. But God's wisdom is wiser than man's wisdom. And so God reaches down and says, I'm going to do something for this guy that no one has hope for. I'm going to do something for this man who is opposing me. And the Bible says in verse number three, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city. You will be told what you must do. What you need to see is that God forgives and God saves and God redeems sinners and fools. Paul, Saul of Tarsus was a sinner. He was a fool, but God reached down and he saved him. He forgave him and he redeemed him. He does that for you and me as well. The third thing I want you to see here is that God rescues, listen, God rescues fools and sinners from their foolishness and from their sinfulness. This is important because this is called mercy. But I also want you to see is how does God treat sinners and fools? He also educates us. He educates us and helps us to learn his ways, wise ways. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, 66, teach me knowledge and good judgment for I trust your commands. Now, all these things we've just seen, this is how God treats sinners and fools. What is our response to it? And our response needs to be, as I say in the fourth point here, to understand that it takes work on our part to become wise. While God reaches down to us to help us, there's some work that is required by us for wisdom to become a part of our lives. Colossians 1, 9 and 10. Paul makes this statement, for this reason, he writes to the Colossian believers, but it applies to us. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all, notice the word there, through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. So it's prayer that is prayed that we cooperate with. We become good students. There are five things that are action steps that I want to encourage you to take as we are moving forward and doing the work necessary to become wise. Would you read these together with me? Number one, you need to be aware. What does that mean, to be aware? It means to be conscious, 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 of, conscious of and alert to the reality that you and I, listen to me, you and I are sinful and foolish. We're all one step away of, from doing something foolish in our lives. And if you're not aware of that, you will get yourself in trouble. So you must be aware so that you will be aware of it. Because all of us have a sin nature and all of us have foolishness bound up in our hearts. 
Jeremiah the prophet in Jeremiah chapter 17 said it this way, the heart, that's your heart and my heart, is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Your heart is a deceiver. You got this, and so do I. We all have this heart in us that is bound toward sin and toward foolishness, and your heart will deceive you. Jesus writes to the church at Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. This was a church that thought they had it all together. These are folks that thought, man, we got our spiritual life going strong. We're good. We don't need anything. And Jesus sends these words. You say, I am rich. I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus said, you don't even see. You're not aware of your true spiritual condition. If you and I are going to foolproof our lives, we must must be aware of how easily sin can lead us astray and how easily foolishness can lead us astray. The second thing that you and I need to do, read it with me, is the word. One word, what is it? See. Let me explain what I mean by that. So you beware, aware, and then you see when you're about to step into a trap. You're aware of the temptation, the trap of temptation, before you step into it. Because the best time to realize that something's going to get you in trouble is not after you've gotten in trouble, but before you get in trouble. It's seeing it ahead of time. It's called discerning. It's called seeing where this is going to lead you. When you sensitize yourself to the reality that all of us are sinful and all of us are foolish and all of us have a heart that can lead us astray, then it begins to cause you to see things that can get you in trouble, not after you get in trouble, but before you get in trouble, okay? That's why Jesus said, pray, lead us not into temptation. Lord, help me before I step into the trap. Help me to see it and help me to realize I don't want to go there, okay? Psalm 139, 23 and 24, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any, notice, see, help me to see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The third phrase you'll see on your notes, read together with me, is to acknowledge and confess. Let me explain what we mean by that. We're talking about foolproofing your life. You start by being aware. Then you see, I'm going to see these things before I step into them. However, if I do happen to step into something that is a trap, that I fall prey to, that I end up doing something sinful or foolish in my life, immediately, as soon as I recognize it, I'm going to, what were the words again? Confess, acknowledge, and confess. I'm going to, I'm going to own up to it. I'm going to own this thing before I let it suck me in. I'm going to own it as soon as I recognize that I've made the wrong decision in my life. I'm going to own it. Own it. I'm going to say this is something I did wrong. Why is this important? Because here's our, our tendency, folks. This will help you. When you and I do something wrong and we step into a trap of sin, sin is deceitful and sin will try to convince you that even though you may in your head or heart know something is wrong, it'll try to convince you it's okay. It's not a big deal. It's all right. Everybody does it. Well, at least it's not as bad as, and then fill in the blank. And so we, what we do is we start justifying our sin. First of all, it's a little thing that we do, and we say, oh, it's not really that big of a deal. I'm not going to worry about it. And here's the thing to recognize. One little thing in your life 
becomes a bigger thing and a bigger thing becomes a bigger thing. And before long, you've drifted away from God far further than you ever intended on. Why? Because you've shut down your conscience. You've closed off that sensitivity to God. You haven't been willing to acknowledge and confess. See, that's what acknowledgement and confession does. When you recognize you've done something wrong, immediately you say, God, I am not going to try and justify this. I'm not going to rationalize this. I realize that this is nothing more than sin and foolishness, and I acknowledge it to be so because I want to get back on the right track with you. The psalmist David said in Psalm 32, verse 5, Then I acknowledged, I confessed, I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, Lord, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Number four, what do we do? If we're going to foolproof our life, we must learn to... Repent. What is repentance? Repentance is not just God. I'm sorry. Forgive me with the intention of going back and doing exactly the same thing again. Repentance is when I say, God, I'm sorry. I've messed up here. I stepped over into the trap of sin. I'm going to own it. This is not right. I'm, gonna not, I'm not going to justify or rationalize it. This is real. I've made the mistake. I own it. Now, Lord, I'm also going to change. I want to repent. By your grace and power, I don't want to do this again. I don't want to live in this again. I'm going to change this attitude. I'm going to change this behavior. That's all the word repentance means. Repentance means that you actually do something to turn your life around. Actually, the meaning of the word is to do a 180. You're going this way, and repentance means you turn, and now you're going this way. You're turning away from that which has led you astray, so you get back on the right track again. Listen to what Paul said about repentance in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10. This is helping anybody today, amen? All four of you, that's awesome, okay? For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us, notice what? Where? Away from sin and results in salvation. So the kind of sorrow that God wants you to experience when you've done something wrong, you stepped over here into sin, something that's foolish, and you realize that you own it, then the kind of sorrow that God wants you to experience is that which leads you where? Away from sin and results in salvation. Actually, the word salvation there literally means deliverance. It changes your life. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. If you just feel, just going to feel guilty about stuff and not do anything about about it, it's going to kill you on the inside, but good and godly guilt leads you away from sin back to God. The fifth word, what is it? Learn, learn. Why is this important? You're tracking with me, so how do you foolproof your life? Number one, you begin to be aware. My goodness, I'm not careful. I can, I can step into sin. I can be foolish. I've got to be aware that my heart is deceitful. I've got to be careful. I'm not just listening to what I feel like I want to do. I'm living my life on the basis of God's word. And so you're aware. And then you see the situations that come up where you could step into a trap that has been set for you by the enemy. You're praying, lead me not into temptation. When you do happen to step into something that is sinful, and all of us will and all of us do, when you do that, you immediately acknowledge it and confess it to God and own it in your life. And then you repent of it saying, God, I don't want to live there anymore. And then you learn from it. You learn a lesson. This is important. You learn to mine, M-I-N-E, your mistakes. You find something out of that mistake that you can learn from it for your life. It'll help you to be wiser. Okay, amen? This is the whole goal because we're talking about doing the work that makes you wiser. You're not just going to become wiser if you don't 
think about what got me into this. Why did I do this? Where, where, what was going on inside of me? What, did I, what was the situation that allowed me to fall prey to this? And so you learn your lessons from the mistakes that you make. Psalm 32, verses 8 and 9. God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Notice this. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. God says, I want to teach you. I just want to instruct you. I want to help you to learn how to live a wise life. I just want to be your teacher. All I'm asking of you is just be a good student. That's all I want you to do. Just be a good student. When I try to teach you a lesson, don't be like a stubborn horse or a stubborn mule. Don't get all stiff on the inside like you're some big person. No, get to the place of humbling yourself before me and let me teach you some stuff with your life. And then you'll find out that I've got a better way for you to live your life than you ever dreamed of in your life. But it requires you to not be so stubborn, okay? How I many you know that God can't deal with you if you're stubborn? He's gonna, he'll deal with you, but it'll be a hard way of dealing with you, okay? The best way to learn is to submit yourself to Him. Perhaps as you have been listening to today's broadcast, you felt a stirring in your heart, something that reminded you that you need to get something right in your life with God. The first way to start in that journey with God is to open your heart to Jesus Christ, to make Him the Lord of your life, to turn over all your life to Him. And that begins with a very simple prayer. I want to lead you in that prayer right now, and it's a prayer that you can pray right where you are. Say these words, Jesus, I invite you into my life today to forgive me of all my sins. I need you. I want you. I want you to take charge of my life. Be my Lord and Savior in Jesus' name. Now, if you just prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's word that says, when we call on God's name, when we call on the name of his son, Jesus, there is salvation that is brought to our lives. He changes us from the inside out. And the Bible says that if any person is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And that's what's happened to you today as you've opened your heart to Christ. Let me encourage you. You need to take the next step. The next step is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church where you're studying God's Word. And make sure you get a copy of God's Word and begin to read it. Spend some time each day in prayer. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. If you would like more information, please visit our website at church-redeemer.org. May God bless you and make you a blessing. This is WAVA's Dennis Williams. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.